Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Now we were at the same time. I Dr. think it's the first time we've done that. We're like, I know, I know. we're getting sync. rusty. We're getting rusty here. My gosh. Oh, well, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein and... I'm Dr. Susan Little. And this is the Per Podcast. And uh, as a matter of fact, this is a very special podcast because we are taping or recording a lecture. Someone told me I can't use word taping anymore because we don't yeah. use tapes. So yeah. we were re recording a, a lecture for Hills Global Symposium and we decided to make immediately a podcast of it too. Yeah, so the Hills Global Symposium uh, is in Lisbon this year, 2023. And uh, um, obviously not everybody's gonna be in Lisbon. So we get to share a recording of our lectures with you as a podcast. And we all they also can see the images from the lectures too, right, Yola? If they go to Patreon account, they can. But if you don't, we will try to describe them as yes. good as we can. If you go to the next slide. I will. So this topic is very specific. It is. It has nothing to do with surgery. So why did we pick this? Yes. So why did we pick the topic of helping cats with lymphoma? Well, uh, it is the number one um, cancer in cats, mm. right? So if you think of cats and cancer, lymphoma should come to your mind. Uh, and of the lymphoma sites, I guess you could say, uh, GI lymphoma is the most common type. Right. And it, uh, I will be talking about this a little bit. There's sort of like um, better versions of lymphoma to get and worse versions of lymphoma to get. Uh, but we chose to talk about supporting cats. And that also means supporting owner, owners, because many owners are fearful when you mention chemotherapy, because by and large, this is a chemotherapy disease, really. Right. Uh, and and, they, the and they're fearful because of all the things that they hear yes. about people getting chemotherapy. Yeah. And they, and uh, they may have had uh, maybe, you know, a dog um, undergoing chemotherapy. But the truth is that cats generally tend to tolerate chemotherapy better than dogs do. But we can still do a lot to support the cat and to support the owner. And one of the big reasons there is that if you're the owner of a cat with cancer, lymphoma in this case, right. um, surveys have shown us that cat owners value quality of life over longevity once you're you know once you're you're dealing with a cat with a diagnosed tumor right, right. and so that's a lot of what we want to talk about let's dive in yeah so uh clinical science we always start with uh, these look pretty atypical except for maybe the vomiting and diarrhea yeah well i'm you know i'm fond of saying that Cats only have a limited number of clinical signs and they just use them for all diseases. Right. So uh, as you might guess, the clinical signs for lymphoma are cats that are losing weight, but the majority of them mm. uh, lose weight. Uh, also, the majority of them have either vomiting, diarrhea, 
not usually both, usually one or the other. And about two thirds of them are not eating enough to maintain their body weight, which is, of course, why they lose weight. So those clinical signs alone are not very, uh, uh, they're not very specific, um, are they? But uh, but that's what we're faced with when uh, we're dealing with uh, lymphoma and probably a bunch of other diseases in cats. So and for people that are on audio, what's the word for not wanting to eat or decrease? Yeah, yeah. I really, you know, veterinarians have a, a tendency to say anorexia right. or any loss of appetite, but anorexia means no appetite at all. Mm. Hyporexia means some appetite. You know, it's not a hundred percent loss, but there's right. a bit there. So, I think that that helps. Cool. There's really four key things that we want to think about when we're thinking about supporting these cats. And of course, some of them are things that we talk about for any disease, right? Right. I love the fact that nutrition is in the center of this picture. So thank <laughs> you for that, Dr. Susan. But, but it's so uh, important. A, a, a big one with tumors is always pain. Yeah. Pain is something that we might not always think about, but it is something that we have to address. Yeah. And when we're thinking of lymphoma, the especially if it's gastrointestinal, the cat may have little or minor pain from the tumor itself, because these are not often, they're less likely to be a solid tumor in cats, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. However, the procedures that we use for diagnosis, they can certainly cause pain. So you need to think about it uh, in that kind of global view, right? What might cause pain? So we think of pain, we think of nutrition, uh, and I put it in the middle because we need to think of nutrition very early on. Uh, I find it tends to get dealt with um, not at the start of a cat's journey with uh, any tumor. So we need to address it early on. And the ability to get nutrition in the cat, of course, is linked to the nausea uh, and the decreased appetite that they might feel from the tumor itself or maybe from the treatment. Right. And and if you're nauseated, you don't want to eat anyway. Right. So that, that it's all linked together. So it pain- is. And nausea uh, will cause hyperexia, and that will make the cat not eat. Yeah, they're all interlinked. So, right. in in terms of the topic we're um, talking about today, these are everything we're going to talk about, and those four factors are really uh, focusing on two important things. So, one of course is maximizing the cat's quality of life, uh, but the other is trying to optimize response to therapy. Uh, If we do uh, as good a job as we can, helping these cats uh, go through their lymphoma treatment, then they will have a better response to to therapy. And we'll we'll show you some examples. Um, The other thing that's important is, of course, there's a burden on the owners too. You know, we we tend to call it caregiver burden. It can be um, life-changing for owners. So it's important at the start of this journey to talk to owners about the impact on the cat and the impact on them. And it's also important to tell them that that their their cat may not look like it's lost a lot of quality of life and they themselves may not feel like they've lost a lot of quality of life, but that can kick in at any time. 
It can be right. present diagnosis. It might start after treatment. It might be once they're down the road a couple months with treatment. So it's good for owners to know that um, disturbances to their quality of life and their cat's quality of life can occur any time in this whole um, process. So I think that's important. Okay, I have a question for you. All right. Yola, I'm ready. why do cancer patients lose weight? Oh, there are so many reasons for that. It's uh, clearly, you know, we talked about the fact that they might eat less because they're painful or they might have uh, or they might be nauseated. So they yeah. don't want to eat because of that. That might be a functional impairment. So yeah, like think of the cats with something or like mouth tumors, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Or is it a geal tumor? Even in the abdomen, it might be impairing the normal function of the of the um, of you know the normal passage yep. through the GI tract. But there might be also problems with digestion because it's often a disease that is spread throughout the whole GI tract, and so that might impair digestion or change the digestion. And then we give a lot of chemotherapy and other therapies that will have adverse effects of their uh, own, including yeah. nausea again and and decreased appetite. And the last but not least, uh, we know a syndrome in cancer too, which is called cancer cachexia. And what is that, Dr. Susan? Yeah, so that's also something to pay attention to and to talk to owners about early on. So um, cancer cachexia, or I guess cachexia in any, in any situation, right? Because it could be cardiac disease, could be cancer. Cachexia itself means the cat is losing weight, even if it's eating well, right? So this cat might might actually be eating pretty good. He may be uh, getting enough calories every day, but still lose weight. So that's the 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 key that might make you start thinking about cat, um, cancer cachexia in um, in cats because they lose both fat and muscle um, during this, and it has widespread effects, right? If you think about it, right. Yeah. So it's really an inflammatory response. That's a whole body thing. There might be a perineoplastic process going on um, or it could be as simple like the tumor is disrupting that protein um, calorie uh, or the, you, the, the cat's use of protein and calories. So they get protein calorie malnutrition. So it's a pretty complex thing um, that we need to pay attention to. Uh, and one of the reasons we need to pay attention to it because if cancer cachexia in and of itself can have a lot of impacts that you and I and the owner see. Right. And I have to say something now because we're looking at a cat mm -hmm. in outside in the snow and, you know, only in Canada, obviously, is that's happening. So thank you for sharing your yeah. Canadian experience. Well, it's not even really snow. <laughs> it's it's a light dusting of flakes. <laughs> that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we uh, we just wanted to point out that cancer cachexia will impair like healing or recovery um, of patients. Maybe they needed a biopsy or whatever. It's going to um, impair that type of healing. It can really have an effect on the immune system and decrease its function. Uh, obviously, it's going to decrease organ function. So especially when we think of GI lymphoma, then digestion is very likely to be disrupted. And that's why right. there's such a high prevalence of 
uh, GI signs um, in these uh, in these kitties, right? Um, and the cancer—it's uh, almost like the cancer needs to be fed, right? It's like it's it's um, getting what it needs at the expense of the cat, and so we of, often see uh, patients who have some degree of fatigue. Uh, some may develop anemia, and we've already talked about uh, appetite disturbances. So some of them are driven by the tumor. Some of them are driven by cachexia. Some of them we can address because we can be more pro- more proactive in supporting um, the kitty. Yeah, cancer is a multi-systemic disease. That's what yeah. forget. It really is. That's an important thing to be aware of. So just for example, in people um, that have GI uh, tumors, um, the majority of them will have some degree of cancer cachexia. And I don't know, a quarter to a third of them will die from the cachexia, not the tumor. So yeah, really, really important disease. Okay, so I thought we'd talk about a case. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Ouija. Ouija, I don't know where his name came from, actually. I've I've thought that a number of times. It's a Ouija board. I guess. (laughs) <laughs> only in this case it's w-e-e-g-e-e so so this is Ouija and he's a lovely black cat black cats are always hard to photograph um so uh, we've got a couple of photos of him in my clinic um actually I think they're all from him on his various visits to our clinic so he was actually a big boy and he's like 10 11 when this um started so his owner who lovely lady very much in tune with what's going on with the cat brought Ouija in because he was losing weight and she had not made any change to his uh, nutrition so she didn't understand why um and she noticed also that his appetite wasn't quite uh, normally Ouija ate very well so his appetite was um, disrupted and uh, so yeah so then she uh, she brought him in um so of course uh losing appetite is just one of those clinical signs in cats that could go with like anything so um, we do have to start with things like a good physical exam where we did indeed document he'd lost weight uh, and his body condition score had dropped down a little bit but there really wasn't any other significant findings uh, uh, except when we palpated his abdomen yeah so dr Seuss, before you go there so how do you check uh, muscle mass loss in cats what what's your technique yeah, so we use we do uh, muscle condition scoring in our physical exams, and so what you're looking for, uh, you kind of have to train yourself to learn how to do this. But you're looking for like the thickness of muscle, and um, typically you palpate muscle over uh, some bony pro- prominence, like over the hip bones or over the um, the the back of the head, for example. So you're looking to see if it feels normal or if it's um, uh, decreased sort of mild, moderate to severe decrease. So, you know, it's subjective, but um, I think what if you're doing it all the time, then you, then you, um, uh, you know, you gain, you gain insight and then you, you uh, do a better job, um, I think. All right. Yeah. Okay. So when we palpated Ouija's uh, abdomen, there were some masses that we could palpate, uh, kind of rounded and very mobile. Right. Um, So we also had some blood work done on him. And uh, as part of his uh, investigation, we did an abdominal ultrasound. 
So you could do x-rays first, you could do ultrasound first, you could do them both, you know, sometimes it just comes down to uh, what order works that day, right, for your, your imaging. So I'm going to show you his, uh, one of the images from his ultrasound. So there we go. Right, and you will need to describe this for the yes. audience. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, a, a still image from an ultrasound and it's of his abdomen. And um, this image is oriented. Uh, his ventral surface is at the top and do dorsal surface is at the bottom. And the calipers are outlining uh, an area that uh, has radiolucencies in it. And so we we believe like these were the roundish kind of masses that we were feeling and um uh, so we found several of those, and we also found some uh, changes in the uh, architecture of his uh, small intestine, his, uh, uh, the architecture of the muscle um, layers, right? Uh -huh. And so, uh, I mean, we know we need, to, we need pieces of this. Uh, so you could have, you can do a fine needle aspirate with ultrasound guidance, you know, done that before. Uh -huh. uh, you could go ahead and do exploratory surgery. Now, uh, the benefit to that is that you can look at all the abdominal organs and you can biopsy a lot of things. So, you know, there's not always a right or a wrong way to progress. You just have to progress, I think. Right. This was an excellent episode, Dr. Susan. Thank you for that. <laughs> I always learn. I'm always learning. Right, right. I'm so surprised that, you know, these these little bites of information come around and then suddenly we know more. Well, you just see, that's the thing. You just never know where we're going to end up, right? So we, do you might... know what I learned? What did you learn? The word dromedary in English. Dromedary. Okay, then. Right. Yep. Camel versus dromedary. Should you ever be in a position where you need to know the difference? Right, right, exactly. Okay, this is the per podcast. Dr. Susan, thank you so much. Where can we find information? Perpodcast.net. And uh, also on social media at Per Podcast. Excellent. Thanks, Dr. Susan. Bye-bye. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet 
until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.